What's up, boys and girls? We are back with another episode of the Fiber Performance Podcast, episode number 22 with Fergus Crawley. We're talking about hybrid training and CrossFit games and where the two kind of meet in the middle, what they share, what they don't share, how programming is designed for one or the other, and going from the specific sport of heavy lifting and endurance racing and then looking at CrossFit, which is more of a GPP now it's expanding. So we're really excited to bring you guys this podcast. We've been wanting to link up for such a long time and we're excited to show you what it's all about. So stay tuned. This is James Newbury, four times Australia's fittest man and multiple CrossFit Games competitor. This is Fergus Crawley, absolute beast of a hybrid athlete, has done multiple Ironmans and is freaking crushing the hybrid space as much as anyone could possibly want. That's very kind. Thank you. We sit down today and discuss where our training methodologies cross over, where they don't, the lessons we've taken from the variety of disciplines we've trained in over the years, and actually have a few more potentially controversial conversations. Coming right up. The most decorated <laughs> CrossFit athlete in Australia. Uh, yeah, but you've been in the games a few times and you've done, done well in the past. The yep. most humble CrossFit athlete <laughs> in Australia as well. No, James... Just talk us very briefly through your illustrious career thus far. So if I had to uh, keep it really concise, uh, started crossfitting in 2011, made my first nationals in 2012, placed ninth, 2013, got 11th, uh, 2014. I missed out on the games by two seconds to one of my best friends, Carm Porter, pipped me on the line. I got fourth, he got third, he went to the games, I didn't. Then 2015, um, was dealing with a couple of niggles, had a torn patella tendon and a broken wrist and ended up competing. They were healed to a degree, uh, but didn't compete very well. Uh, got a 13th place in 2015. And then I came back fitter and stronger in 2016, finally cracked it, got my rookie debut to the games. Went to the CrossFit Games for the first year in 2016, placed 24th. Went back in 2017, got 26th, devastated. Then uh, 2018, got 18th. And then... Wasn't sure if I was going to compete or not. Came back in 2019, had a red-hot crack, and came fifth. That timing of that was perfect, by the way. I think we can all just acknowledge that. So that is that is a illustrious career. And what we're going to do today is we are going to compare training methodologies as, along with a very successful CrossFit career, James is, and apologies if anyone disagrees with me on this, or there's some weapon hiding somewhere in the shadows that you could argue is more so, I'd say James is the most in conventional internet terms hybrid crossfitter, as he also partakes regularly in Ironman distance triathlons. You've run a lot of marathons. You are more single discipline focused out with a CrossFit box than most other CrossFitters, I think is fair to say. So we're going to break down the similarities in our training, the differences, and potentially a little bit about what, from our perspective, with much more verified background to be able to do so, what crossfit can do to develop and actually maybe broaden its net from an inclusivity point of view to reduce the entry point for people to get involved in essentially what is a very well-rounded fitness methodology so training for the games training for regionals essentially there's a, we spoke on the modern mind podcast previously which is available on audio and video and if you want more context on james himself and a bit of a timeline then do head there but we spoke on that podcast about the delayed gratification all the work that you did getting you to the games yeah it wasn't, I've started working, I'm at the games. It was a lot more. It was 15 years of skill acquisition, GPP, and then five years of CrossFit training, and then then the games. And then three rounds before you got to somewhere that you were happy with your position. Exactly. So training-wise, 
once you develop the skill of CrossFit and you could fit in in a box, you could immerse yourself in classes without having to sit things out, without having to scale, what did your training look like? What were the principles that underpinned your preparation for it? So prior to getting into the into the CrossFit box, I came, like, if you would ask me, do you think you're, you know, relatively fit across the board overall? I would have said, yes, I'm a, I'm a good runner. I'm, a, I'm an okay runner. I'm not an elite runner, but I can run pretty well. Like I probably was running, I was running sub sub 19 5Ks at that particular time. I was running like a 945 uh, 3K time trial. Um, I could probably deadlift at the time, maybe 180 back squat, maybe 160 and 155 or something like that. Um, bench press maybe 135 so in my mind at 20 years old I thought I'm like fairly well-rounded and then jumping into the CrossFit gym doing a wall ball I was like holy shit this is rough this hurts this doesn't feel normal like you know you can bench press 135 but throwing a nine pound or sorry a 20 pound nine kilo ball up to the wall a handful of times is gassing me out to the nth degree and I couldn't handstand push up if my life depended on it. So my overhead pressing strength was terrible. My overhead jerking strength was, you know, fairly good as a as a beginner. Like I think I walked into the gym and I could strict press maybe fifty seven or sixty kilos, but then I could jerk one twenty straight off the bat. So wow. it was a strange comparison. Um, Interestingly, my overhead strength is terrible. And always has been. And even when I've done the work, it's something I've really struggled to adapt. Me too. E- even when my bench press is I mean, it peaked at 160. Yep. And I think if you asked me to overhead strict press 80 kilos at yeah. the time, yeah. it might not have gone. Yeah, that's and that's exactly mine. And and typically what I what I put it down to is I can work, for instance, if I want to get better at pulling, pulling capacity and pulling volume and I want to do more pull-ups, if I run a program alongside, say, a handstand push-up program, a pull-up program and a handstand push-up program over the course of five weeks, I will get significantly uh, significantly better percentage returns on my pulling program than I would my pressing program. So I might improve my pull-ups. Let's just say I can hold on to an EMOM of 15 pull-ups for 15 minutes, 15 pull-ups every minute for 15 minutes um, by the end of the program. And I started off, you know, maybe holding 10. If I was to start off and say, let's, I can hold five strict handstand push-ups on the minute, every minute for 15 minutes. And that's my capacity. And I start to fail I won't only prove that over the course of a five-week thing by maybe one or two reps. It doesn't change that much. My pushing ability to get better is always un- – there's something underpinning. Maybe it's a, a mechanical thing. I don't know whether it's a, a, a positional uh, portion, but that's something that always was struggled. But for me, leading into CrossFit, I came from a background where I loved to push hard in a run. Like I loved – I loved the last kilometer of a 3K time trial. That was the thing that fired me up. I loved a beep test. Give me a beep test any day of the week and I'd froth. Um, But I also loved lifting weights. I loved lifting heavy and I loved moving my body and I loved, you know, being strong. So jumping into the CrossFit scene, I came with a set of skills and they just had to adapt and I was young enough for them to adapt at the right time without being too, uh, too cemented in my ways of doing what I was doing. How did it look from a programming point of view? Obviously, no one week was the same, but was there a structure in terms of how you managed intensity and volume? Because with Omnia, with the way we put hybrid programming together in terms of single disciplines, we haven't had this conversation, so this might be information to you. You might have seen it online, but we we work in a sort of inversion of intensity and volume as the week goes on. So we'll peak intensity at the start of the week. So heaviest lifts, fastest efforts on the track, hardest efforts in the pool will be earlier in the week. Midweek will be sub-threshold work, strength endurance stuff, and then the weekend will be aerobic-focused, real steady stuff. So that essentially means that intensity is going like this. 
and volume is going like this as the week goes on. And that allows us as coaches and as athletes to monitor the relationship between intensity and volume and make adjustments accordingly in terms of prescription, dosage, however you want to phrase it. So that's the those are the parameters that we view hybrid training in Omnia mm-hmm. Performance, our coaching business. Link in description down below if you're watching on YouTube and down below if you're listening on the podcast. But were there structures and parameters like that that you worked in or were you in the camp that was GPP and randomization is the way to approach it? No, no, definitely not. So the best way to explain this, and this is like if I had to go through every program that I had touched in the last 10 years of doing CrossFit specifically, I would be here all day long. So I'm going to go to the most relevant, which is probably the most recent one where I placed placed well, but then my most recent camp, which was the hardest camp I've ever done, which was 2021. Um, the way that we had approached at training with Proven, um, which was uh, Tia Claire Toomey and Shane Orr, her, co- uh, her coach and husband. Who have a reasonable track record, it's fair to say. Yeah, they have a great <laughs> track record. And the way that we approached our training was very unlike, it. yes, it is CrossFit, but yes, we did run a specific, in 2018 when we were competing um, for the regionals, which was one of my most flawless years at nationals. I think there was maybe six or seven events and three of which I won. The other ones I was top three or top four. So it was like a flawless weekend. I almost couldn't have had it any better. And prepping for that, Tia was getting ready for the Commonwealth Games for the Olympic lifting, for Olympic lifting. And she took gold medal there. And so we ran an Olympic lifting program alongside a track program, alongside a swimming program, alongside a CrossFit GPP program. And we were expected to do all those things and do them individually as specific parts of what someone would do for an Olympic lifting program alongside a track, a swimming. But to the... See, that's interesting because anyone that watches the channel or listens to the podcast will know that we are so adamantly against the vast majority of our athletes, clients, customers, whatever anyone would like to call themselves, from splicing programs together. Because the biggest mistake people make from a hybrid training point of view is taking 100% of a running program, 100% of a lifting program, splicing them together, and then wondering why after three weeks they feel like feel like they've been hit by a bus. Oh, yes, exactly. So the important thing to caveat that is, is that you're a very adapted athlete <laughs> with a high foundation in all of those components sitting beneath them. Mm. But it's interesting that that's directly contrarian to what we would suggest or think at our end. Maybe maybe not necessarily because this wasn't programmed from a swimming coach or a a specific running coach, but this was programmed. Shane put this into a program that he then adapted and had his own spin. So we weren't doing the type of, well, we actually probably were doing more volume in some ways, but, you know, we weren't running a swimming program to the point where we were doing 20Ks in the pool per week. We were, you know, we were hitting maybe two pool sessions. So it was all in consideration of the other elements, but they were essentially pillars of each discipline within CrossFit. Yes. In their single tracks. They're, they're, they're the main... So if you look at a week a week block of training, and we looked at, you know, the, at, the, at the time, Olympic weightlifting was very prominent. We needed to be at the sharpest we possibly could for regionals to be sh- super sharp. So we were weightlift... We were Olympic lifting four to five times a week, like an Olympic weightlifter would. But then swimming, for instance, we would only uh, allocate two sessions. So we would pick two sessions that are the main priority out of a full week block look at how that stacks up in terms of volume, what we can handle, and then we would roll those sessions together. And these were basically training programs that Tia used to do as a kid before school when she was young. 
So we were taking those programs and implementing those. So we would be doing, you know, 100 repeats, 200 repeats, 400 repeats um, as main sets. And then we'd also always finish off with drills and skills and, and openers and things like that. So we're always focusing on that. But then we went to the track and we would be running, um, we would be running 30 meter sprints, 60 meter sprints, 100 meter sprints. Then we would be doing, you know, 400 repeats on a particular time frame, like you would prep for, say, a mile. Um, but this, and then the way this works is, and Shane is, so clued in to making sure this works well is that when we lead into the open it's very broad and general and it's short sharp bursty work it's hard and intense when we progress on from the open to the nationals then we're looking to better our 5k time we want to see our 5k drop from wherever it sits 1930 down to 1830 by the time we get there and we'll test all these parameters we might do a mile, we usually do a mile test as well if mile test comes in at say 506 we want to see it at you know within the next eight week block we want to see it at 456 by the time we get to the next one and that's our goal or we'll figure out parameters whatever that works out to be and then when we progress on from the regionals if we qualify for the games which we expected we did we would then be prepping to better our 10k time because we know that the requirements of the games is a longer more endurance style of competition over the four-day block so in the beginning of the season, or so prior to the beginning of the season, we're working on base, solid, raw strength. Then we move into short, sharp, get it ready for the open. Then next one is getting ready for our 5K improvement, getting ready for our 10K improvement. And then if you were to take the basis of those time domains and then you were to apply them to Metcons and CrossFit wads, that's how it was structured in. And then there was always chopping and changing GPP throughout that program. But inside of a week, we would look at the highlighted points that we would need to be really dialed in on. And then Shane would be very particular about what is popping up on .com. And .com is CrossFit.com. And they would always put in workouts from time to time. And if you saw a pattern, he would be able to identify that pattern and know that, hey, there's a pattern here. We need to be ready for this movement. Let's make sure we start working on it now, just in case it pops up. But then every week, pretty much after every single session, we would always dial in on our strongman accessory pieces. Every time a session finished, it would be yoke carries, farmer's carries, sled drags, sled pushes to finish off most of our sessions. So for people that will want to know the answer to this question, because it's the question that always comes up in magazines and columns the like, because it's simple. If I asked what a regular training week looked like, there probably isn't a answer, is there? No, we would always stick to some type of structure. Like there would be like, for instance, we would always do, you know, uh, track track on a on a Thursday. And then we'd always do swimming on a like a Monday, Wednesday night or a Monday or Thursday night. And then we would be in the gym pretty much at 7.30, 8 o'clock most mornings. Um, Sundays is typically a rest or recovery day where we might just go, go for a hike or something like a really relaxed hike. So there would be some type of, um, routine structured in there but then if you were to look at um, any which day all vastly different all vastly different and if I was to rattle off like a particular let's let's take a let's take a day for instance let's take a rough day a rough day getting prepped for the games you're you know you're six weeks out five weeks out you're you're buckled in a training camp getting prepped and your aim of the game here is to become as resilient as you possibly can because we want to be firing by Sunday there's still 400, 500 points on the board on Sunday and you've already done three days of competition and you're already a little bit buckled, you still want to be firing then. So you need to be resilient. And the idea of the resilience training is to ramp up the volume to a point where we don't exceed and fall off the bandwagon and overflow that bucket, but ride that line as long as we can until we hit taper. 
And then once we hit taper, obviously you rest and recover. Everything is regenerated as much as we possibly can. And then we get stuck into the games. But a rough day would look like, for instance, we would be at the track in the morning um, on any given morning. We'd be at the track. Um, this is not every day. We might go to the track two or three times a week leading into the games. It would be an eight o'clock start. Uh, we might have four by four by one mile repeats. And each one of those repeats would say start at 5K, to- 5K pace plus 10 seconds. The next one would be 5K pace plus five seconds. Next one would be 5K pace. Next one would be sub 5K pace. And that's how we would rotate and there would be a particular style of rest or we're leaving on the seven minutes every single time or something like that. That would be the morning session. And then we'd go straight from there, straight to the gym. So you might stop off, grab a coffee on the way. You'd go to the gym. You'd go to the gym. You'd start off with a lifting piece. You'd go something dynamic. It'd be snatching. Um, you might go, you know, you might hit a percentage on block snatches. Then you would go to overhead squats. Then you'd go to a press. Then you would take a quick 15-minute break. Then you would roll into a Metcon of some description might go for 20 to 40 minutes. Then after that, you would work on another strength element. It could be a raw lift. It might be a squat or it could be a deadlift or it could be something different or it could be a gymnastic skill acquisition volume piece. And then we'd finish off that session with some type of either strongman conditioning accessory piece or it would be a handstand walk obstacle of some description that we think might pop up. You take a break for two or three hours. You'd go back to the gym. So that session in the morning, you've got your 90 minutes at the track. Then you've got your two and a half hour session there at the gym. Then you would take a break for two hours. You'd go back to the gym and then you would work on almost somewhat to the opposite degree of what you did in the morning. If you clean and jerked or you sna- let's say you snatched in the morning, you'd probably clean in the afternoon um, or you'd jerk or something of that or something of that note. And then after that, you would probably do some type of aerobic conditioning. It might be a 45 to 60 minute row piece that included a row and a pack run. And then after that, you would do some type of short, sharp modality, intense sub 10 minute workout that sent you through the roof, which is what we wanted to work on. So something, two ends of the spectrum. And then from there, you would move on and you would work on, you know, it could be a, you know, a a short, sharp power clean ladder, getting prepped for, you know, power clean 100, power clean 110, 20, 30, 40. Then after that, then you would look at what else we haven't touched on for the day. What is, you know, how the bodies are feeling. This is programmed in, we've got this. And then you might finish off with a really easy accumulate this volume for this because we know this is a common theme at the games and everything we did was purpose-based and there was no junk miles in there. That was the biggest thing about Shane's program. There was zero junk miles. Nothing was done without a purpose or forethought put into it. So if we were doing something, I knew that we were doing something for a reason and that was it. And then, you know, and if we didn't do that afternoon session or we didn't do the track in the morning, so if we missed the track and went straight to the gym, we'd do the gym session, gym session, and then we'd be at the pool that night. And then we would do, Tia and I would just go, Shane wouldn't come to that session because Tia would basically lead that session and say, these are our sessions. So either track in the morning, two gym sessions, or if it was two gym sessions, it'd be pool at night. There's a huge amount to unpack here. And the first thing I'll probably just flag is that ooh, the interference effect is something we see a lot online and essentially the structure of what you've just unpacked says all that we've ever really said on the Omni Performance Podcast that really needs said in our opinion which is yes it exists yes the meta-analysis is there yes you can cherry pick from it and say oh well but the interference effect does it restrict your top end ability to adapt to the demands that you're putting upon yourself Yes, it does. Does that stop you from being able to adapt to the demands you're putting upon yourself? No, it doesn't. It doesn't blunt them in the sense of an on and off switch. It just reduces your ability to adapt at the top end. But the more adapted the athlete, the 
or somebody will be able to respond. So I think that's something I want to make clear because in YouTube comments, podcast comments, there's a lot of, oh, but the interference effect, well, how do you bear this in mind? How many hours should I separate things? There's principles that can underpin it. But at the top end, when it comes to exposure to the stimulus that you were exposing yourself to, you were able to adapt in the right direction, which obviously came from a huge foundation of fitness beneath that. But that's the first point I want to mention is for anyone sitting there thinking, oh, well, everything James has just said unpacks and contravenes my understanding of the interference effect. And that's probably because the interference effect doesn't matter nearly as much as some people on the internet have made you feel it should. So that's point one. Point two is just for some pithy, soundbitey elements that people can take away. In terms of hours, sessions, and time committed within the week, what was the sort of range that we're working to? 12 to 14 sessions a week, on average, roughly. And then in terms of hours, leading like high peak volume, high peak volume, getting prepped for the CrossFit Games, anywhere from five to seven hours in the gym, five days a week. And then we would typically have... Um, we typically have a cruisy session on Thursday and then a day off on Sunday. Typically. typically. Did, did you feel battered on the Sunday? <laughs> yeah. But in saying that, there is no way in hell I could jump into doing that right now. Like if I just... Oh, like, 100%. So yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Way, the way that that program works from leading from that strength phase through to that open phase, through to that um, nationals phase or, or uh, semifinals phase and then through to the games phase, you are training that block to be able to handle that next block. And you're accumulating as you go. That's the main thing. That's the thing. And it's weaning your way up. And then, not only that, but then there's another portion of that, which is the year before. And the thing with Tia and Shane is that they kept data from every year since Tia was competing since like 2014 or 2015, looking at where she's at, what she can handle, and then let's go up another level. And let's go up another level. And let's go up another level. And I felt such a difference in when I trained with them in 2018 to training them again in 2021, the 2018 training camp was hard, super hard, loved it, but I was ready for it. Coming back three years later to then do another camp with them in 2021 after missing those periods of build phase, especially when we went through that COVID period as well, that I could do the training, but I was spent. I probably should have done a little bit less. I probably should have not done as much volume as what the crew was doing because they had adapted over the last two or three years at going from here to here to here over the course of years. But over the course of those years, inside of those blocks is open nationals, game space. So they're kind of always stuck in these blocks. And I kind of like after 2019, I kind of focused my area, my thoughts and processes on other things coming back in 2021 it was a shock to the system yes i got through it but i was you know there'll be some days i'd walk in i would barely be able to clean 120 kilos and you should be able to do that cold well not everybody but you like i would be able to do that cold and some days i wouldn't be able to lift that because you're so spent but if you get the taper and the training volume exactly on point you feel insanely superhuman by the time you get to the games. And that's how I felt in 2019. I felt like the taper was so on point. The volume that I hit was so on point that 2019 just felt right in every way. And I've been burnt out before and I've been underdone before. And you know when you got it right. It's it's fascinating that you mentioned, I mean, I'm in no way a CrossFit Games athlete and I've never trained with that range of disciplines contained within the context of a training cycle. First of all, before anyone comes at me. But when training for the 500-pound back squat and sub-five-minute mile on the same day, I had the exact same experience where essentially 
the unpredictability of how you were going to respond to what you were being given, especially when lifestyle factors, quality of sleep, nutrition, all these things are thrown in the mix. It's not just the data and the training programming in front of you that matters. There's lots of things going on. And there were some days when I was scheduled to squat 210 for three singles and I'd squat 180 for an RP nine and a half. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, that's that. And yeah. then I'd head straight to the track and I'd absolutely smoke my eight by 400s with 60 seconds. They'd all be sub five minute mile pace. I'd feel fantastic. And I'd be like, oh, what was I worrying about? Easy. Then I'd start worrying about the squat. Following week, go into the gym, 220 moves, RP8, solid, got this, easy. Head to the track, expecting the same as last week. Three by 500 meters, absolutely blow up on lap one. And then can't even do lap two and three at the pace that was meant to. Rest five minutes. I remember the session well. I rested the five minutes and went home. Because I just, I, I didn't, I, the way I felt that anaerobic taste, that just degradation in my body. I'd done three by 500 meters, full send, it had killed me. But the squat had moved really well. And just the unpredictability of it was fascinating because at the same time, I was also training for an ultra endurance event that was going to come three months later. So I was steadily building my volume as I went. So it was every end of the spectrum was being challenged. Exactly. And if you asked me to train like that now, I would fall apart like that. Mm. I would not be able to tolerate it. So it's the real important message is essentially how much consistency consistency stacks over time, especially when you're doing it across disciplines. Because I think that's where the real crossover with the way that we approach things is because the exposures to sports you had growing up has given you that GPP that's allowed you to have the skill acquisition to become an effective crossfitter. But then the core that runs underneath a lot of what you do outside of CrossFit, especially now, that's very important to me, I'm very outspoken about on the channel and, and with Omnia, is how important the outdoors, single discipline, A to B, conventional sports are from a value point of view for me personally. And I know that's a huge thing for you. So when did you start working in triathlons alongside CrossFit? And how did your training change to be able to do so? So I saw a big need after 2017. I had a conversation with a, a bloke who was talking to me about nasal breathing, talking to me about endurance capacity, talking to me about zone two, talking to Chris. It was a Chris. Chris, I can't say his name. No, what's happened there? I'm too, okay. too hot. <laughs> well, too <yeah>. Australian. <laughs> it wasn't him anyway. It was actually Brian McKenzie. Okay, Brian McKenzie. So all that was for nothing. <laughs> yeah, Chris Inshaw. Um, no, so yeah. So uh, I was I was trying to say the wrong name as well. What a mess. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, everyone. I would cut this, but it's been so embarrassing. I'm just going to leave it in. No, it's great. Please continue. <laughs> so BMAC was talking to me about how important he thought endurance was going to be becoming in uh, the CrossFit Games and how it's going to play such an integral role moving forward in the games and how well people do. So I thought, okay, I'm going to get ahead of the curve here. I'm going to start adding in some Zone Two work for a couple of hours a couple of hours, maybe once or twice a week and to see how that pans out. And so what I did was I didn't actually do two sessions. I did one session that was long 90 minutes to two hours of nose breathing only at zone two heart rate. And then I added in some protocols that were a bit shorter than that. And then I also also added in some other things that fired me up. Like I started uh, racing Criterion as well. So just on the bike, just lactic, hardcore lactic for 45 minutes um, as a race in a situation that was unknown to me, which was cool. And I added those sessions in. And then I did those in off my own bat on top of my program. I did them. So I what, the program that I got for CrossFit, then I, th I thought, you know, my volume feels good. I feel good. I feel when like you When you chose to do that, were you aware that 
you have the space to give though. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And I had arranged my life to understand that I could give more and I decreased any other stress outside of training to allow myself to increase my volume because I knew what was expected of me if I wanted to finally do well at the games and I'd already done in my opinion average at the games for the last two years so I needed to try something different if I just kept rocking up and placing 25th I wouldn't have been happy with myself so I wanted to try something different and it did work very, very well, adding in that zone two work and that cycling and that extra running and those other elements that maybe I'd lost along the way through 2016 and 17 when I became quite good at CrossFit-based work inside the gym box work, wads and stuff. Uh, it really, number one, it made me feel great. Number two, it actually improved my wads exponentially. It improved my ability to recover. Um, and then it also allowed me to perform better when these things popped up. So I was spending maybe an extra three or four hours a week doing some extra auxiliary stuff that was based around zone two, A to B, conventional cycling, swimming, running over and on top of my base CrossFit program. What were the initial feedback mechanisms that you had? Did you immediately feel like your recovery has improved? Did you feel like the zone two work was underpinning the work you were doing elsewhere? Did you start to feel fatigue accrue more than you would have done previously because of the additional volume? What were your initial findings having been one of the sort of pioneers of really pushing endurance in its real sense, not in the 20 minute mm. 175 heart rate sense that CrossFit likes to put across? Mm. I jest, I jest, I don't, I don't. How, how did you see that? I improve you. I felt like every time I introduced a swimming program or a, or a regular, not even a program, a swimming routine into my weekly practice, that my wads felt like I could breathe, like I could take a step from one movement to the next, and inside that step, I take one decent deep breath, and I was back on point. That's how I felt. I felt like I'm able to recoup my composure in one or two breaths rather than taking four or five. See, that's a big part as well. I mean, I know you talk about breath work, but I, the, the, the disparity in mentality from a 100-meter sprint versus a 100-mile run, the mentality it takes is totally different, but they're both uniquely difficult. And I think what I've gained a huge amount of value from moving from powerlifting, which is go, rest 10 minutes, eat some Skittles, go, rest 10 minutes, eat a squares bar, go, rest three hours, and then you'll bench. <laughs> it's great I, I wasn't even taking the piss that was exactly how I used to exist and then the other end of the spectrum which is real deliberated strategic slow steady continued adapting as things go wrong changing here this was the plan but let's do this they're very different mentalities do you feel that you benefited from a psychological point of view in terms of being able to apply a more deliberated approach to wads shorter efforts when it came to full sending, as if you had more faith in seeing it through because you, you have that ability to endure. 100%. It makes you confident as shit. You know that you are... When you go and do those sessions, you know that no one else is doing them. So you just get this automatic arousal that you're like, mm, I'm doing other things that people aren't either thinking about or worried about or ever going to think or, or ever going to uh, put into play so number one that's just a confidence building thing but then also when you start to see the difference in how you uh, carry yourself in a workout with the added zone two work inside of that you start to approach your 15 minute workouts at a better pace you start to become more relaxed and a more efficient mover and if you can make up time on every movement and use less energy every time you move that barbell or move your body in space 
you're becoming more confident as an athlete. And then when you rock up to competition, mindset is going to be the, one of the biggest beasts you can overcome. And if you go into that competition in good mindset and at a good arousal level, knowing that you're a confident, well-prepared athlete, you will, you will conduct yourself in a way that implements all those things that you've done and adding in the zone two and adding in the endurance based work, the, the longer two hour sessions that just allowed me to handle, handle the workload, not only inside the wads, but also knowing that I could recover faster than anybody else at the same time um, on a national level. The analogy that jumps into my head as you were, you were unpacking all that there is a violin would not be very effective at being a violin if it only had 75% of its strings. Mm. It's a, yeah. We have different energy systems to build and contribute to one another. And whilst, yes, you can be very good at playing one string of the violin, if you don't have the other notes, chords, I'm running out of violin terms to throw around <laughs> yeah. here. Stradivariuses, that's the type of violin, I'm, I, I think. A, a very expensive one, I believe. <laughs> I or is it a cello? I don't know. <laughs> I should have just left it. I don't know if I don't know enough about violence to continue. But essentially, once you piece together everything and then learn how to make them all work mm. in sync, you are more competent overall. And this is where some camps will say, oh, yeah, but you're not a specialized athlete, which means you're not the best at what you do. Nobody said that they were. But that's what we're not aiming for. Yeah, we're exactly. Not aiming for speci- it's, it's, it's a conscious decision, isn't it? Yeah. We. The, the funny thing about this is we're not aiming to be the absolute best in whatever we do, but sometimes you find, you know, take Tia as an example. She was gold medal Commonwealth Games, also went and won the CrossFit Games, and then I don't doubt if you put her in a triathlon setting, she would be very competitive. And I do know that for a fact, knowing how far she runs her five, like if she did a sprint triathlon or even an uh, Olympic I know how far she runs a 10K and I know how far she swims and I know she's adaptable on the bike. I've seen her going from being poor on the bike to being very good on the bike and I know she would be darn competitive and she would be able to do that whilst still clean and jerking 120 she, kilos. She could well be the, the most well-rounded athlete on the planet, in my opinion. Ever. Exactly. Uh, yeah, and, yeah in, in history. And it, sometimes they, those people pop up and yeah. then you have those other people that are just very never going to be the elite or national level at anything but be very damn good at a lot of things they're the other and that's the other breed and it comes down to this is how we when we navigate how we're feeling it's just like okay cool well if i know that i'm um so i just look at this as a bucket i have a bucket of stress my stress bucket is this big and either i've got some options here i can either figure out strategies and protocols to take stress out of that bucket to be able to maintain a, a baseline without tipping myself over the edge and letting that bucket overflow so i either put protocols into place to empty the bucket or i figure out ways to increase the size of the bucket they're my two options when i add something else into my program i trained as much as i thought i could possibly train in 2016 i was like i cannot be more ready than i am right now for the crossfit games and at that time i was but i look back of how prepped i was in 2016 even to now not prepping i do Three, maybe four classes a week of CrossFit, maybe. Um, Typically three. And sometimes I might go a week without doing any. But I'm fitter than I was in 2016, I can tell you right now. Probably if we went head-to-head, I'd probably beat that 2016 James and he went hard all the time. But this all adds up over time and you figure out ways to help navigate the ins and outs of training volume, 
uh, how how your body's responding to this type of food, how your sleep is impacted, and it has to be a lifestyle that you need to live and live and breathe and trial and error. Because I've found that, you know, if my sleep is impacted on a regular basis consistently, obviously training and recovery it goes down. I've had some days where I've got bugger all sleep. I woke up and I hit you know bloody five k PRs, but I'm not doing that on a regular basis. I can tell you right now, it's just not going to work. But sometimes University, it, it used to happen to me. I'd go in on like three hours sleep and uh, about 15 pints the night before and go in and pull a deadlift PR. And crush. Yeah. yeah. That's exactly... Well, that's and it happened more than once. Yeah. So then my logic started to develop into, well, have 14 <laughs> pints and barely sleep. And then eventually, obviously, I went in and got split in half by three plates. Yeah. So yeah, no, you, you will learn. <laughs> you do learn. And that's the thing. And this is part of the journey. And when you are building yourself up, like what's, what's the goal for you? Where do you want to get to? And then everyone is slightly different. You're going to have those people who just adapt and are at the top of their game and will see acute gratification. And then you have the other type, which is typically, in, in my case, uh, I have to so, uh, suck up delayed gratification and understand that this is a process that is going to take years to get to. And every year you build on not only your fitness, but your experience. And then you draw on that experience every time you hit the floor and every program you start to run. And Sometimes it's beneficial to be more biased towards something if you are very, very lacking in a particular area, which I was. And then there are other times where, for me, I think an all, an all of the time of the year is a zone two. If I can always maintain some type of, you know, three sessions a week of zone two of some description, I don't care whether it's running, swimming or biking or even hiking or some description, but some zone two work, like vigorous, then I'm going to keep myself in check across I'd rather do that than pretty much anything else and then I'll keep myself in check for pretty much everything else. So I could spend the next two months working on um, triathlon training and I can almost – well, actually, no, I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it because I've done it before. Come back and hit 90% of any snatch, clean and jerk, back squat, deadlift. It's probably going to happen. But that zone two work keeps me so in check and I feel like, yes, whilst I'm doing zone two work, if I wanted to be the most elite powerlifter – I'm not going to be doing zone two work, right? I'm going to be focusing on powerlifting. And that's my goal. I want to be the absolute best powerlifter I possibly can. I'm going to powerlift and I'm going to do what you did before. But then if I want to, you know, have fun and what brings me joy, which is trying lots of a multitude of things, that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do a bit of everything. And I'm happy just to be not a pro in anything, but be averagely okay at a few things. Which is my ethos, essentially. You, you've had it in a much more competitive, competitive arena than I have because I've risen one. Yes. <laughs> For a hybrid athlete point of view. But I am not actually that drawn by the competitive nature of it mm. yet. As I just get so much value from it as a person. And I think that's where we see a huge amount of value with athletes on there and where people are moving into this hybrid athlete space, which is a vague term. It's an internet term, yes. But in your from your perspective, what do you see hybrid athlete meaning in terms of definition because it's emerging it's fast developing in my mind you are the most hybrid crossfitter and i very much classify myself as a hybrid athlete across disciplines again in internet terms there isn't a definable we could create, <laughs> phraseology we can work but let's could, give it a go we could create a definition for sure and i think so if we look at crossfit um as a definition uh constantly varied functional movement executed at high intensity if we were to give the hybrid athlete a definition, I would say it is, um, it's a mixed modality of acute. It's a mixed modality of a range, a, a large, broad spectrum of 
specific sports accumulated together. So it's it's not randomized movements. It's randomized sports that are in play and at at at, at participated in large quantities. So for me, a hybrid athlete is someone who loves to push push their limits in endurance across a large, broad range of time timeframes and distances, and someone who also loves to push their limits in a large, broad range of uh, lifting lifting elements and lifting modalities too. So I guess we could we could come up with a specific definition, but for for me it's it's being able to swim, bike, run, hike, move, move from A to B, and then also be able to lift with um, compound compound raw movements, deadlifts, bench presses, squats, and then also be able to um Move odd objects. I feel like moving odd objects is a big thing too. So picking up stones, picking up logs, doing that type of stuff. So someone who can adapt to pretty much any physical task that is in a range of current sports that are participated in a high amount. So not something unique, like not something so unique that you've got to go up and do 30 ring muscle-ups or walk on your hands for 100 metres. I don't feel like that is part of the hybrid athlete realm, but I feel like if you were to take triathlon, Marathons, half marathons, Spartan races, powerlifting, not so much Olympic lifting, strongman, and put them all into a big pool, maybe some other ones along the way that I haven't thought of, that's a hybrid athlete. And you will have a bias. Someone will bigger, the bigger, the stronger the fella, they're going to crush the weightlifting. And then you've got the smaller, um, more whippity fella, they're going to they're going to probably crush the endurance side of stuff, but it's basically testing yourself across an endurance platform and a strength platform at it in its most, most basic bones. The phrase that we often use is concurrent efficiency across energy systems and disciplines at its core. Freaking love it. You just like taken my rambling for the last five minutes and condensed it down into about five seconds. And so, I so, love it. so with that in mind, do you as the only person in this room with the, credibility and experience to be able to answer this question because i could speculate do you think crossfit serves rather what do you think serves the average person better as a methodology for fitness crossfit or hybrid athleticism you're gonna hate my answer you're gonna freaking hate it (laughs) don't say don't say both (laughs) that would be the biggest cop out i know no i'm not gonna say both um Honestly, what serves, I feel like what serves in general terms, far out, I feel like what serves that person in general terms is literally, and this sucks to say, but it's just literally whatever fires that person up to do their fucking session. That is it. If they just love hit and tries, Hit a try, man, and go do some deadlifts. Cool, do it. If you love going into the gym because you want to go hang out with your buddies and smash a functional fitness class where you're going to do some cleans and box jumps and some double unders and probably do some deadlifts and some snatches and some pull-ups, go do that. And then if you just want to do everything, be my guest, do everything, and that's pretty much what I do. I'll happily go and ride a two-hour bike ride with a bunch of mates and have a blast. I'll happily go run a marathon, I'll happily go to the CrossFit gym and hit a CrossFit class. That's all I do these days. I'll happily go and, you know, if if I can find something cool and interesting, like if, if we find a race, you know, we find a 100 miler, cool, let's have a crack. But I feel like if you want to go down the path, if you love 
specific sport focused stuff, do hybrid. If you love constantly varied functional movement executed at high intensity because you just want to get in and get out, go do CrossFit. If you don't have two hours to go for a bike ride, go to a CrossFit class. If you just want to be jacked and strong, probably go do some powerlifting and some bodybuilding accessories along the way. And if that's what fires you up to exercise, that is the best thing for you. And this is like diet too. This goes down to diet. I can't give you the recipe that's going to help you be the best person, best version of yourself. But I would just say in general terms, eat more color and variety and you'll be better. I'm not telling you not to eat anything in particular, but eat more variety and you'll probably be better. And I usually just say add in some fermented foods and some sprouts and you'll probably just be edging a close, a little bit closer towards wellness. I don't hate that answer at all. Mm. I entirely agree. And the reason I asked it is because so many of you <laughs> ask it. And I just want to clear up the fact that it doesn't matter. They're not, you're not comparing an apple and an apple. You're comparing an apple and a, what was that fruit in that fruit bowl before? Patea. Patea. <laughs> you're, you're not comparing an apple and a patea. What is a patea? It's like a, a, I can't even tell you really. It's like a pinky, it's like a pinky, uh, uh, for anyone, this, this is a patea for anyone watching. This is what, <laughs> for anyone listening, look it up. I don't know. Yeah. But agreed. The methodology that best suits the person is the one that they can stick to the most effectively and gives them the most joy and fulfillment in 100%. life. That is like, that's precisely it. And the thing is, whatever's perfect for you right now, may not be the thing that fires you up in 12 months. That's so key as well because so many people, like the evolution of my fitness journey has been Z's era, full string of vest, bodybuilding, let's go, got to 7% body fat, thought I needed to be leaner, decided psychologically this isn't for me, moved into powerlifting, full meatheadery for years and years and years, got to a point where I decided, you know what, put down my last deadlift, 267.5 I think it was. <sighs> cool. Yeah, it's like all right. sweet, great. What's go, next? Go home, have a pizza, go to work tomorrow. And then what I found from exposing myself to a variety of demands over the years is all of the individual things that those demands give you and how that has actually lifted me up as a person internally. And then as an athlete, once to bring the violin analogy back, once yep. I have all the strings on the bow, I can play the violin more effectively. And therefore that gives me a better way to explore the world, a better way to interact with people, a better way to socialize with people, the confidence that if you said, Fergus, 100 quid on the table, run a marathon tomorrow, I'd go, oh, for fuck's sake. But I'll take you 100 quid. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'm proud and happy that that's something I'd be able to do because there was a previous version of me, like I said earlier, that wouldn't play a round of golf on the weekend as somebody who likes playing golf because I was worried about my heavy squats on the Monday and the amount of steps I'd do on the golf course impacting my heavy squats exactly and i feel like a lot of people get stuck in the fact that if it's this sunk cost, sunk cost fallacy that if someone gets caught in the idea that what they're doing now might not be the thing that they're doing five years there's no point doing it now that's not what i feel like we should be focusing on if you get stuck in the idea that okay if i start this journey on being a powerlifter, i'm gonna have to see this through for at least the next 10 15 years until i retire and i decide that i'm just gonna sit on the couch that's not the case you might do it for a year froth it get such a high meet some really cool people have some great conversations have some cool experiences some memories that you can bank and next year you might decide you know what i'm gonna have a crack at a half marathon and then that is great and then you might lose most of the strength that you gained in that period of time you probably but you don't need to but you don't need to. www.omni-performance.com. <laughs> that, and that's the thing. And then you might just froth on that for the next 12 months. And that's cool. Or two years or three years. Or, and you might find yourself going back to powerlifting. And that is okay. This is part of the experience. And you just got to do. And I'm not saying just 
shop around to the next thing. Maybe set some self, set yourself some goals, see them through, and then see how you feel at the end of it. And again, whatever you feel like might be perfect for you right now, might not be perfect perfect for you in 12 months, but it's just about experiencing as much as we possibly can and whatever brings you joy. Whatever you're doing, train with intent. And my recommendation to add on to that would be to have a plan mm. for whatever. Even if the plan is across different things, have some structure that you can work to because far too many people randomize things too much, which can, which can expose them to injury. It can expose them to not enough volume to be able to adapt if you're enjoying that. And that's what you're getting from it is the, the joy of exercising. Then there's nothing wrong with that inherently. But if you're wanting to move yourself to a different level of fitness, a different body composition, whatever it might be, then intent and structure and planning are the only ways plan. that you're going to get there. A plan 100% of the time because there has been no time that I haven't had a plan in place to execute. At the moment, I don't have a training program that I follow religiously on a daily basis. I have plans in other areas of my life that are taking up a lot of time and those plans I'm executing to a, a, a high degree. But then I've resorted to the fact that when I wake up to do what I'm doing, I've, I've built a foundation that allows me if I would like to go out and, and run my 10K and then the next day do my deadlifts and then the next day do some CrossFit and then the next day do some back squats and the next day do some bodybuilding. I have the ability to do that without putting myself in jeopardy of risk of injury. That is where I situate myself right now. But if, I, if you said to me, hey, James, you're coming with me at the end of the year to run 100 miles. Which is provisionally happening to <laughs> confirm everybody watching provisionally happening i would get prepared for that on a program i would say okay cool you've done these types of things before get me as well prepared as i possibly can so i am not the anchor <laughs> that slows us the fuck down you know what i mean and that's and it's, then a, it's a nice place to move slowly to be fair so yeah you'll you'll, you'll be okay but no it's so, uh yeah yeah planning um planning and stick to that routine and uh the best thing you can possibly do in every aspect is said this in the last podcast, chop wood, carry water, be the most consistent worker in the room and do the basics really well and you'll be elite in whatever you do. Phenomenal, phenomenal. Thank you again for a fantastic conversation. Pleasure. And more to follow. Yes, let's go. Is how we'll leave that.